Welcome to A for No, B for Yes. Welcome to the A for No, B for Yes podcast, where we'll be discussing all of our favorite takeaways from The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Uh, this week, we'll be covering the Forest Temple and a, a few things around it. Um, I am your co-host, Ryan Fonzie. I'm Cameron Hagee. And it's your guy, Anthony. All right. And uh, this week, uh, I mean, last week, sorry, we ended off with the Temple of Time. So this week, that's where we'll start. Um, we just became an adult. We start to move away from this pedestal, and we get interrupted by Sheik, who is a very ambiguous character. Uh, they have their face wrapped up. Um, you can't really tell much about them, except they wear clothing very similar to Impa. Um, so you can tell that they're a Sheikah, if anything. Um, the way that he he approaches is um, is very sneaky, very ninja-like. Um, and he, he or she, I suppose, has some things to share um, about, about your destiny and your mission ahead. Um, they share that you have a set number of temples to go visit, um, describes briefly where each one is located, um, and I believe gives you instructions that the first one you should check out is hidden away in the forest, and that the first sage you are looking for of the seven sages is um, is somebody that you know. Um, and just from the context clues, we already kind of get the implication that we will be searching for our best friend, Saria. And then at the very, very end is kind of like a, just a little pointer in the right direction. They say, you should probably head to Kakariko Village first. Yeah. Because you can't actually get into the temple without something that's hidden in Kakariko Village. Um, they still leave it pretty ambiguous too, which is which is just sort of a just sort of a thing with Adult Link. Where as a kid, I wanted to harp on that that they told you pretty much everything and every little thing you have to do with very little room to explore. And then this new saga of Adult Link, it's very open to just you can do honestly temples in whatever order you want there's like a set order but it's pretty ambiguous to what you have to do right yeah i would agree like that with that it's like the when you're a child it's like the game is almost holding your hand and at least telling you where to go and like for the most part the things that you have to do and then when you get to adult link it's like hey go to the forest all right bye it's it's very open to you to to figure it out yourself and to explore like like anthony said right and the thing is um they don't even really tell you what it is you're looking for right now. No. I mean, they say go to Kakariko because there's this power that you still need to get that you don't have yet. They don't even tell you that it's an item and not necessarily a power. <laughs> um, so you could be going if, you know, if you don't know better looking for like a great fairy fountain to teach you a new spell or something. And that, that is not what you're actually after at all. And I like to imagine some poor soul went to the temple without getting this power and was greatly disappointed. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, you at least get a song to go back yeah. without having to <laughs> go through all the trials again. But, but yeah, it is. It could be very disappointing for sure. Um, but before we get to Kakariko, um, there's a few shocking moments that that happened before that. Um, so I guess the first one is we leave the temple, and immediately we are met with. A much darker tone, um, just just across the board. We step out. Death Mountain looks crazy. I think it's got 
Like everything's kind of gray and dark, except for I think the mountains like lit up on fire. Yeah, there's a red ring of <laughs> um, doom around the top of it. Yeah, and um, and the world kind of looks broken already a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> the temple still looks for the most part untouched, but the entire color scheme has been changed to this weird gray brown, just like dead leaf color scheme yeah it's very dark uh, there's clouds in the sky constantly black like thunder clouds it's just it's a very dark atmosphere right yeah and if you actually um, look at the castle uh if you actually go to like the actual hyrule castle where it used to be there's just like a pool of lava like psychic energy lava it's really weird looking it's like a rift and it's just floating there ominously um yeah, I mean, if you go out, if you go out towards the castle, there's a whole cutscene about it. <laughs> oh, is there? Um, I don't know. Yeah, remember did that. you did did you I, go that way towards Hyrule Castle? Yeah, I did. I just didn't remember the cutscene. <laughs> yeah, so right right before Hyrule, sorry, right before that, like you come away from the Temple of Time, and we find the like um, castle city courtyard. It used to be the market. It might even still say market, just to really drive the point. Um, but instead of all of the happy people that used to be there dancing and shopping and what have you, um, instead what we find are about eight redeads, <laughs> um, kind of mixed between standing and sitting. Um, a bunch of the buildings are destroyed. You can't actually get to the back alley anymore. Um, luckily with, with any spot like this where there's actually like a fixed camera, um, the Redeads can't freeze you, but they can still scream at you. So usually when you're running through, you at least get a couple <laughs> couple screams from these guys as as you run by. Um, and it's really dark and and it's, you know, the first time you've ever you ever see it, it's um y- you kind of wonder what what is going on? Like how how did this happen? I mean, in seven years, I mean they told you that Ganondorf turned the land into a, a world of monsters, but you didn't mm-hmm. really expect that the very place like just a few yards from from where you came back is already just it's like there's not there's no civilization anymore you know it's destroyed um but yeah if you if you go towards the castle um you get a cutscene where link is shocked and the entire courtyard that used to have the castle like across the field has just been completely wiped it now looks like like a like a volcanic crater with a castle floating above it so um yeah and it's not the same cat it's like this super dark like black scaled um, yeah ganon ganon did some construction on it a little home decorating right (laughs) yeah there's just rubble everywhere (laughs) he might have even used the parts of the old castle to make the new one but (laughs) it uh it doesn't look quite the same no he had a painting crew to paint it black listen to too much rolling stones (laughs) all right so once we once we look at all the sites to see, you know, we run past the Redeads, we go out towards the castle gate, and you can still get into the little guardhouse that was there when you were a kid, where you'd go in, there was the jar man, he's like, you should break some jars. But instead of him, we have a new character that we've never seen before, and he is the Poe Salesman was taken up shop there yeah. in this little guardhouse. And I actually have a few cool things to talk about with him. Yeah, he's uh he's kind of a poacher if you get what I'm saying. <laughs> so, 
such a bad joke. I'm ashamed of myself. I'm so sorry. I'm proud. Man, the man's got a business, and that's all he cares about. Saw an all opportunity. He cares about is them pose. Saw an opportunity. He just wants man. them spirits. I don't man. think it was a very poor joke. <laughs> oh man, <Hey>. it hurts. <laughs> so, nah. So what's up with him? Yeah. So this guy, right? He he wants he wants Pope from bottom, and he'll pay you good stuff. You know, he'll pay you some rupees for the these stuff. for these uh, pose. He just loves collecting these pose and. I actually found something out that was pretty interesting about him. The guard that is in that guardhouse, if you somehow get to him at nighttime, like if you, I think you go out to Hyrule Castle, like the, the walkway up to the castle where it can still be nighttime, and you go to that guardhouse at night, he will actually say, wait, all right, give me one second. I got to find out what it was. You, know, you got the line? Yeah, I got the line. Whose line is it anyway? It's the it's the poem man's line. <laughs> yeah, so the man who guarded the gate, he starts talking to you about how he really enjoys ghosts. And there's this little line that this man talks about to Link when he's a child. And I want to believe that they left that line in there because this guard who was guarding that, he's the same he's the it's him, he's the Poe sales. When things went he you know, he got all messed up looking, or got a red eye, and now he sells Poe's instead of guard duty. <laughs> he probably ate too many of them, because if you try to eat a Poe, which you can, you actually lose health. So this guy probably just like ate himself, like Poe-wise, into oblivion and turned into yeah. that thing. Oh, man. Yeah, but I never knew that line was in there. It was really that. cool to, uh, to read. I kind of want to go like research into that more. Yeah, it, it could be the very same person. He says he loves Poe's. How does that, does he reference, like? He doesn't say Poe. Just says ghosts. He says he just likes, he just, he's just really into ghosts. And he wishes he wasn't guard duty anymore so that he could, you know, go into his dream. And then, you know, seven years later, there's a guy standing there selling and buying ghosts. So I like to believe it's the same person. Yeah, you have to talk to him at night. I never talked to the guard at night. I never. That's actually really cool. I didn't. I didn't realize that. Like I. I always kind of thought that there was a chance that that post salesman was somebody we knew, but um, I didn't realize that there was actually a line about it. That's actually really cool. Yeah, it's guard man. It's jar man. <laughs> it's the chaos wanting guard jar man. <laughs> right. More trouble in the world brought brought him his uh brought him his favorite pastime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least someone's happy. Also, <laughs> if you stay there long enough, which I actually just left my game. I wasn't really paying attention to the game. I, I was paying attention to my dog. I left the game running. And if you stay there long enough, you'll see the pose start to like slowly like slip through the uh, bars in the little mm-hmm. little cage. I think I and remember. And then they'll that. like they'll get out of the they'll get out of the cage, and then he'll like snap his pole and throw them back into the cage and then they'll sit there for a little bit until they try to escape again it's so funny to watch i actually remember yeah, that from when i played there, it as a kid there, yeah 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 i remember that too it was, it was always fun to watch <laughs> keeping them in he's there. like no get back in uh so yeah so right before we leave um i, I do want to mention one other thing that i kind of realized that i wish i hadn't um if you have friends who check out websites like uh, does the dog die.com before they watch a movie. Um, I wouldn't share this with them. <laughs> um, <laughs> in fact, you might want to skip ahead if you're really concerned about this. But, um, but Hyrule City used to, packs of dogs used to roam the streets at night in droves. 
Um, and um, guys, I don't think there's a single dog in all of Hyrule anymore. Um, and I don't, I don't know what happened to them, <laughs> but they clearly don't have a good habitat anymore. I mean, no. so. the people that lived in, I mean, they weren't the brightest, the people that lived in, in, you know, Hyrule Square. Market. Neither were the owners of the dog. It, true, but the people aren't there anymore, so you can assume that their pets probably didn't fare much better. I know, I know, but like the woman who who owned Little Richard is in Kakariko Village now, um, and Little Richard is not. Someone had to sacrifice themselves so she could get away. Probably like the snakes on the plane movie where the girl just chucked her dog or someone chucked her I just, dog. I just picture her like running away in this like really slow-mo action scene. Turns around and little Richard's like, is like attacking this random monster. She's like, little Rich. He like looks back and she's like, he just wants me to go. And the, yeah. I don't know about <laughs> you, but little, I can't Little Richard's see... last stand. You just made that real cinematic <laughs> and there's no evidence for that whatsoever. That's I the like best that. part about it. I like that, but I just can't see a Westie uh, doing that. <laughs> Maybe a German <laughs> Shepherd, but not a Westie. <laughs> hey, you know, he was bigger inside than he was on the outside. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That day, he wasn't so little. That's right. He turned, <laughs> he turned into just Richard after that day. <laughs> oh, no. Just Richard. Oh, my gosh. Uh. All right, well, so anyway, so rest in peace, Richard. Uh, he's no longer with us anymore. So take that in there. But we leave the Poe salesman. We try to go outside and well, uh, there's no bridge. There's no Hyrule Bridge. It's just gone, which may, leads me to believe well, it's in the water. Yeah. And so I don't really know how successful the salesman's business is having a broken bridge to your shop. Uh, but you know, to each their own and we get out to the field and, uh, well, if you haven't noticed yet, there's no skeletons running around. There's no pea hats. They've been replaced by spirits or pose, which makes it really easy to go sell them because you can just farm. Yeah, there's dead yeah, people everywhere. So spirits are roaming the Hyrule field now. Right. I think in our second episode, we talked about pea hats and I said that one had chased me on my horse. And after getting to this part again, I realized that that was folly and could not have happened <laughs> um, <laughs> because there are no pea hats anymore. No. Um, so that I must have been chased on foot because I was definitely chased, but um, but not in the way that I thought. Um, you somehow got yeah, literally. I mean, I guess out. that brings me <laughs> just to a quick side point. Um, before we get to Kakariko, just this is kind of just a charge to our listeners. Um, we love this game. We talk a lot about this game clearly. Um, and when we make these episodes, um, we're, we get excited. Um, and we talk about it enough to make mistakes. <laughs> uh, we say a lot of stuff that's just not right. <laughs> um, and sometimes we have theories that might be off or debatable. Um, so if you, if you find us in a huge error, I, I, there's been a couple that I can name myself, but I'm not going to right now. I think that's, not we'll get into it at a time. later date. Maybe, um, hmm. definitely write in, write in, be like, Hey, you got that wrong. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, talk to us about, about what you think of the game and whatever. And, you know, we, we would love to hear from you. Even if, um, even if you're not comfortable with us reading stuff on air, like we won't read it without your express permission. So you know, don't don't be afraid to to join the discussion. Like, really, 
write, write to us. Like we want to hear from you. Um, but yeah, back to, back to what we were talking about. Uh, so Hyrule field no longer has anything but pose. Um, so I mean, you, there's not really much you can do about that right now. I know you can fight some on foot. Um, if you want to make a quick buck, but I don't know if the ones that you fight on foot are worth all that much. Yeah, either. the ones you fight on foot are the small pose. Small pose are worth a pretty small amount. It's the big ones you really want, but we can't really get them yet until we get something a little later. So yeah, so we we head on over to Kakariko, um, and it's not immediately evident where we're supposed to go or what power we're supposed to be looking for. Um, what is evident is that a lot of the citizens that we might have gotten scared about being dead in the marketplace um, are actually here. They're they're scattered about. They're kind of mixed in with the other villagers. Um, the two people who were laughing out in the in the courtyard before about sneaking in to see the princess are now. Um, I, I don't even know what they're like laughing about some something completely different. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they're still there. They're still together. They're still they're still just having a gas, man. I don't. Yeah, they're they're not characters I I talk to too often, but um, but they're there. Um, little Richard's mom is in one of the houses. I think one of the um, the elderly people from the square has made it over. Um, but yeah, you'll see you'll see a lot of that as you go around. And in case you um, were wondering, have... the married couple that were so in love with each other, they made it. They made it. They're behind the windmill. Did they're behind the windmill? Yeah, you got to go up on the very I was top wondering. level. Yeah, because I didn't, I didn't find them enough. They're hiding. Uh, They're hiding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they were definitely hiding. They they want some peace and quiet. Which is kind of funny because in the past, not only they they were the opposite of that because they were just standing out in the middle of everywhere, pronouncing their love for each other. Now they know, they're I'm pretty hiding. sure their line. Pretty sure their line literally is, oh, young man, can't you just leave us alone? We're trying to get some peace and quiet or something like that." <laughs> How the times have changed. That's funny. You guys will be happy to know that the beard guy had made it. Yes, <laughs> I didn't find him. Okay. Yes. Confirmed he's still Best alive. Best NPC Confirmed. still alive. I don't, I don't know what his new line is, but but he's still here. Probably his new line is probably, movie. I can't get my beard products because everything went to bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I, I didn't focus too much on their new lines. I Like, I was really kind of concerned with whom, who was still around that you could confirm. Um, because there were some people who did, I mean, there's no more market tables filled with people. Um, you know, the sell me something with C, uh, banker lady is still there. Um, she made it, she made it over to Kakariko. Um, I guess one point I, I would make about, about this whole transition is that we know that, you know, I think we mentioned it before that we're on a mission for, for truth and justice, um, that Kakariko was our example city of, uh, people who are trying to live uh, for truth, who are trying to, you know, be helpful to one another, be an actual community. Um, and so when everything kind of fell apart over in Castletown, um, people had options. They could either not accept truth, um, stay where they were at, and probably get turned into a redead, <laughs> um, or just, you know, end up meeting their demise one way or another. Um, or they could turn to Kakariko. They could change their whole lifestyle, kind of uproot, move over, and accept truth, honestly. Um, it's not, I mean, it's kind of a subtle thing. I don't I don't think that that's really what story the developers were trying to tell, but that's 
that's just a metaphor that I kind of like to see here. Something you can look um, into. It seems like a cool point. Yeah, like, like, hey, like, come over to <laughs> come over to truth. Accept truth. If you don't, if you come don't over accept to the what's good happening side. now, you're you're gonna you're gonna die. Like, you really don't. <laughs> Like your other option is death. Like, what, yeah. what are you doing? That has a really good message to send that, you know, at some point in your life, you might have to either choose to continue living in denial or to accept the truth and better yourself for it. <clears throat> and you don't necessarily like, it doesn't mean you're actually going to meet your demise if you don't accept it, but your life might not turn out the same way otherwise. Right. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so we're here. I mean, did anybody find any clues to what power it is we're after? Um, I mean, I know, I, I know what you need to do and I know that there is a clue, but I don't know if any of the other NPCs talk about it at all. Like I almost, I almost feel like, again, this is one of those things where you either have to have a friend who already knows <laughs> or you have to look it up. Or if you like, if you're playing this for the first time, I don't know how you would figure this out without just being super curious. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like being super curious is the right thing. They tell you to go to this village. So by process of elimination, walking around, talking to everyone in the houses and you don't get anything, eventually you would be railroaded to the graveyard, which is where we need to go. Yeah. All right. So, so just as, um, I guess just to, to make the point, cause we never talked about this before. Um, when Dompe is doing his graveyard tour, you can sneak into his shack, um, and he has a journal. Um, in Dompe's journal, he says that on one of his tours, he found this cool device that stretches and contracts and goes boing, and he loves it so much, he would never give it to anybody. Um, but you can only go into the shack during the three hours that he's working. Um, as an adult, Dampe has unfortunately passed away. Um, so his shack is open 24 seven. You can get in there and his diary instead reads that, uh, basically invites you to come find him. And if you do, he will give you his, his favorite item that he found. Um, but it's not that simple. So you, I mean, he's, he's in one of the graves in the graveyard now. Um, so, you know, you do the kind of grave digging that we did before where you pull him back, you jump in. And eventually you'll find him. Um, and he, uh, he's not just going to give it to you. He, uh, he wants to have a race. <laughs> um, I think it's kind of funny that the dude who kind of has the darkest, most morose job in all of Hyrule, um, is kind of a fun loving dude. Like yeah. he spent his, he spent his days alive hosting a grave digging tour just to kind of entertain people by digging rupees out of the shallow dirt. Like he wasn't really grave digging. He was just kind of walking around with a shovel, like putting on a show. And, um, and now that he's dead, he's like, he's a ghost. Does he have a halo? I feel like he has a halo yeah. or something. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He sort of slinks um, around in the air, like no bones, jelly. Right. And, and instead of like, just kind of resting, like you'd think you know, you might want to, he, um, he decides he's gonna, he's gonna host ghost races <laughs> in the, in the graveyard <laughs> underneath the graves. Um, I also think it's, so I don't know. It's, it's funny. I think it's also funny that he's one of the slowest moving NPCs in the entire game that actually like moves because he has a bit of like a, a limp and that when he dies, he wants to race you. So he goes from being super slow to being the dude that's just zooming through the air because now he's a ghost. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not even, it's like a race against time for you. Like, for him, it's not really a race. He just, he, like, leads you the whole way. <laughs> While throwing fire at you. 
Right. It's a it's a time trial. <laughs> like he's not Dante like hey, got if you superpowers. Can <laughs> then you win. It's hey, if you can beat the time. But it's yeah. It's good. It's good stuff. So if you beat him, um, you get that you get that hook shot, um, which is a fantastic hook item. Um, probably one of the coolest items I think I've I had ever gotten in a video game <laughs> when this game came out. Like the infinite bow and like, arrow. Really like. Right. Like normally you have like a maybe a, if you even have a 3D game to begin with, um, you might you know have a shooter or something like that where it's really just one one trick the whole time i think this is the first like really unique item that this game presents that like you can kind of shoot around in 3d space and as long as you hit something that's the right texture you know you can just kind of fly to that other point um it was a really cool adaptation of like the 2d hook shots that were in the top down games i think but yeah no it was definitely cool i honestly the boomerang and the hook shot are one of my two favorite weapons in the games i always really like because the of their shot. versatility yeah i like jumping around on top of the the rooftops of kakariko with the hook shot and when we get the long shot it gets Just... even funner yeah, yeah. you know kind of it makes me sad that the boomerang has such a short-lived lifestyle because you can't use it as an adult so you get it at the very end of your childhood and then it's just gone it's pretty it's much sucks. yeah it's it's really useful for like scaltula hunting when you're a kid mm-hmm. um but other than that yeah it doesn't you don't really need it for very long before you uh for you don't need it anymore <laughs> so cam did you want to cover the song uh the song of storms real quick yeah so when we're done with the race with dampe and getting the hook shot our main exit is going to be out through the back where there's a block that has like a sun on it. And it's a blue block that we have to play the recently acquired song of time to get out of our way. Uh, we climb up and go up a staircase and we find ourselves in the windmill, which is why the windmill had a question mark, question mark, question mark uh, in the first place, because it was connected to Dompe's grave, which they didn't really want to tell you existed yet. And there's the dude that we saw there before who was all happy, and he's like, oh, man, I love playing music, I love going around, life is awesome, and he's not having it anymore. He's he's having a really bad day. <laughs> uh, before we go down and talk to him about his bad day, though, we can hop on the two spinning wooden platforms in front of us and ride over to a free heart piece. Yeah. Yeah, he used to be such a happy man, and now he's like... He's just an angry little dude with his music box. And when we talk to him, Um, we find out that the reason he's angry is because a child wearing green clothing, I wonder who that could be from the past, played a song to him that changed his life into nothing but misery. And he teaches us that song. Yeah, he says the kid came and he messed up this windmill. He doesn't say like how he messed it up. Um, You can kind of tell like, you know, it's. I don't know. It's actually, I don't think at this point you can. I think it's going the same speed it was when you were a kid. Yeah. So, um, there's nothing to really indicate what's messed up about it. It's still functioning as a normal windmill, but he says that the kid came, played a song, and it messed up the windmill. Um, and I guess he's just been angry and miserable ever since. Yeah. Then, so you pull out your ocarina and he's like, Hey, you have that instrument too? Here, let me teach you the song. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then once you play it for him, because the game always expects you to like play the song real quick to prove that you know it, then the windmill speeds up as soon as you play it. And it starts raining indoors, which is weird, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, and then you see with the sped up windmill, you're like, oh, this is what happened to you. It went from like this nice leisurely pace that you enjoyed to and he just, just drove him nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Link's yeah. a jerk. Something yeah, about time cool. moving faster, man, really, really messes with your psyche. He's uh, he used to have like a nice job, and now he has like this fast pace. Time's moving forward at a faster rate, and it's just like you can't keep up with it anymore, and it's frustrating. Yeah, he's overworked, overspun, right? So yeah, um, um, but yeah, so this hook shot is the magical power it's not magical but it's a power and um it's what we need to enter the forest temple um so the best way to get there is to uh go back through the lost woods so you can either go i mean you could go up death mountain and get in there that way but you'll end up spoiling a lot more for yourself (laughs) that way um i think the recommended path is to kind of head back to kokiri forest um because that's going to tell the story a little bit better (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Plus, if you're a new player and you don't know about the forest temple yet, you would just think, hey, I'm trying to look for Sari. You might even try to check Sari's house, which would be in Kokiri Village. So that is just kind of the normal place you'd want to go. So when we get into Kokiri Forest, the first thing that you are going to notice is it is not the pleasant, fun-loving, elf Kokiri-filled village that it was before. It is now infested with monsters. And all of the Kokiri are now hiding in houses, in their homes. And it is just a terrible place to be. The Deku tree is still dead, obviously. And it's just real sad, like a sad thing, you know? All these all these little Kokiris, man, they can't defend themselves. And there's monsters everywhere now. Yeah, it's the whole place is kind of like a battlefield. You walk in, the first thing you see is um, a Deku Baba um, that is like four to five times the size of the ones you fought when you were a kid. <laughs> it's, it did not scale with you. Like it, it surpassed you in terms of growth. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, I was, uh, I was playing, I was playing through this. I mean, I, I have, a, I had, again, I have more than one game going. I actually finished one of them and started another file. Um, but I was doing a three heart challenge run and this dude killed me. <laughs> He was the first thing that killed me. Like I had to use a fairy because like he can bite right over top of your shield. And I did not realize that that was, that was uh, going to be as dangerous as it was. Um, he does not care about you. I mean, you, I mean, again, like you can use the same strategies as before. You just can't start from too close. Um, you kind of have to work your way in or try to get him from a distance with the hook shot. Um, so yeah, so that's just an example. Like they, they, there's a bunch of these in this section of the game. So yeah. I think it's worth. There's going to be multiple about. enemies that can hit over your shield. Yep. Yeah, or or through it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Highly in shield. What's um, that? Right. So if you if you go into any of the Kokri buildings, all of the Kokri are indoors for good reason. Um, they all kind of share the same things. Like they 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 kind of all mention that like. They all react to Link being there, um, but not by understanding that you are Link. Like, they've all kind of forgotten <laughs> um, that, I mean, I guess they none of them knew that you weren't actually a Kokiri. 
Um, so none of them expected you to grow up. So they see an adult link and they think that this is some stranger who really shouldn't be in the forest. Um, some of them are a little surprised that, that you could even be there. Um, some of them wonder why you have a fairy, but all of them kind of respond to you kind of asking around where Saria might be, um, by saying that she's like gone into the forest or, you know, they're not sure where she is, but she's not in the village right now. Um, so knowing that Saria has a secret spot, um, our next, our next best place to go is the lost woods. And uh, Mito yes. is also the other Kokiri that's missing from the village. If you look for him, yes, yeah, he's he's missing. Um, I want to add two points to this Lost Woods segment, and I want to apologize to everybody that I may have sent astray on a wrong path. I know Fonzie talked about if we get something wrong in a podcast, uh, definitely correct us on it, and I'm gonna definitely correct myself before you guys can get to it, but. The pathing through the Lost Woods, I believe last time I said you have to look for the light at the end of the tunnel. I want to correct it on saying the wrong paths are the ones with the light at the end of the tunnel, and the actual correct path is the one that is just straight black. Like, just go through the black doors, don't bother with the light at the end of the tunnels, don't work until you get to the last exit, the Sacred Forest Meadow. That one will have a light at the end of the tunnel, but you just kind of walk through and you're in the Sacred Forest Meadow. So I wanted and, to correct uh, myself on that. Side note, on a side note, I don't think that the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel thing works on the 3DS version. I don't think that's actually a way to tell. That's the uh, N64 yeah, version. This is, yeah, this is the N64 version, or if you have the virtual console, and maybe the collector's yeah. edition. I think it was, an, it was an issue that they had with getting the visual the same when there was actually like a new room to load versus one that you could just seamlessly walk into. Um, so they, uh, so it's like, it's apparent when you're standing far enough away from it, which ones are going to take you to a new section altogether and which ones are just going to take you somewhere else in the forest that is already loaded. Um, so yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that's how that works and that's why that works. Yeah. I don't think it was in, it was supposed to be that way, <laughs> but man, is it a nice um, glitch? so yeah. quick uh one other thing to note is that you can't follow the music through the lost woods anymore when you're an adult um when you're a kid looking for saria that song trick works when you are an adult it does not so it you really if you don't remember the path you could end up doing some guessing and testing um the light at the end of the tunnel thing i think since the n64 hasn't worked. i don't think it works on the gamecube either um it might but i i haven't really fully checked that yet um but yeah, it's um, it's a little bit harder this time. <laughs> There's less tricks. Um, have any of you guys that su such as adulthood, I guess? So. <laughs> have any of you guys gotten lost and fought a skull kid? No, I made it my first time um, through. Yeah, so I yeah, uh, no, I've I've sought the skull kid because they're all in the same places, right? Yeah, so I I went to where the skull kid, one of the skull kids was, and I fought him. And if you kill them boy you get a orange rupee worth 200 oh dang yeah wow i didn't need it because i already had 200 here. rupees so it was i didn't it know they like, was balling yeah they was balling man they had all the money they're probably stealing it from like people who wander in the woods <laughs> they got they got bank but yeah if you find one in the woods they're not friendly to you anymore as when you were a kid 
They're hot. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think the one that you can sell a mask to has the mask anymore, um, which I think is only important if you care about which Skull Kid is the Skull Kid in Majora's Mask. <laughs> Um, but that's not really a discussion for today. So I just got the thought of every time one of these skull kids like tricks someone into the forest and takes their money, they like pick up the rupee and goes, is rupee an instrument? Because like, that's that's what they care about. Right. So why would they have this money when they can't do anything with it? Unless they thought maybe they could like make music with it. So how are they going to pay for their instruments, man? Well, they can't ever leave the forest anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. You got to work with them business scrubs to get those repairs done. <laughs> I guess so, right? There is some business Speaking scrubs of, uh, right there. business scrubs, did you guys know there's a Deku Nut upgrade where the little, like, rock is before you get to the Sacred Forest Meadow? There's business scrubs in there, and they'll sell you a Deku Nut upgrade for 40 rupees. Um, I knew that there was some upgrades through the Lost Woods. I don't know if I knew about that one specifically. Yeah. Um, it upgrades yeah, it to so, 40. So as we're... As, sorry, real quick. So just kind of getting back to our mission, right? So as we make our way through the Lost Woods, um, one of the things we'll come across, like if you get to... I think um, there's like the doorway to the Goron City. Um, and you make a right, and you get to the doorway to the Zora's Domain. Um, and in that room is Mito, and he's blocking the path forward. Um, and if you talk to him, he says, Hey, like, Saria told me I had to guard this, this spot, or she asked me to be here to stop this. Like, you can't go unless you know Saria or for your one of her friends or whatever. Like, you, you basically, like, she has to know you. Like, we're not letting strangers through. Um, so you have to play him Saria's song, and that kind of proves to him that you actually know Saria. And he's like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, I'll let you through. Clearly, she, you must know her because she only teaches that song to her friends. Um, and he again doesn't recognize you um so i think he even might mention like i wonder if link's ever going to return or something like that but he he says more um later on if you come back after doing the forest temple so um so you play the song for him he says oh you must know sorry i let you through and that kind of lets you get to the sacred forest meadow again um, but the sacred forest meadow is again, not the same as it was when you were a kid. There's moblins walking around. Yeah. It's very hostile now before they were what the mad scrubs, but they were still pretty easy to even just run by the things that are there. Now you're not running by them. No, no. In fact, if you, if you even step into the same lane as them and they know that they see you, um, there's literally nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Um, no. I'm pretty sure once they're charging, they're invincible. Yeah. <laughs> At least I've never gotten a shot off in time to test that. <laughs> so this is going to be um, your first actually... foray into the hook shot for combat. In case you guys were wondering, this is definitely the tool you're going to want to use to take out these moblins. Yeah, it's, it's possible to sneak up on them and slash them. Um, and they die with most of them, I should say, die with one hit. Like, even though they look huge and intimidating, like this guy's dying one hit. You touch them once and they just fall like a house of cards. (laughs) So, like, there's a real weird split between when they don't care about you and when you don't have to care about them. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. it's like they're the big old glass cannons, man. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, you kind of sneak around the corners and try to n- hit him with the hook shot and 
Yeah, it's a it's a big game. Like when you when you step out and you're not paying attention and you hear that, Yo. <laughs> you know you're accurate. You know, effect. you better run back. Uh, but it is the same exact pathway as it was before. Yes, yes, it is. And yeah. if you guys remember, there's a fairy fountain actually at the top before we actually get to the sacred forest temple. And I wanted to have a little segment here uh, because the dungeons they're gonna get harder. And this forest temple is a big transition from the baby game to this is an adulthood. You are probably going to die if this is your first time playing through this game. I don't want to be mean True. unless you're a very good gamer. You Maybe you got this, but you're probably going to die. So I wanted to have a little fairy segment here just to kind of go over every single secret possibility that you can use to get a bottle in or a fairy in a bottle. So we have the fairy fountain at the top here. Obviously, that's the most known way to get a fairy. And there is a method that you can do as a kid. Obviously, we're not a kid anymore. But I found this interesting. If you hit a butterfly with a Deku stick, it turns into a fairy. I never knew that. What? Like if you swing it? Yeah, if you swing a Deku stick at a butterfly, it'll turn into a fairy. Uh... Yeah. What? I did not know that one. I know that if you go to a Sheikah stone and you play the right song, it'll make a fairy appear. Um, yes. And you actually, I think you have a couple options for that. But, so that um, is going to be any song that is a non-traveling song. So as long as it's not a song that gets you from point A to point B, it could be a Pona song, Zelda's Lullaby, Sun Song, whatever. Uh, those all work. Yeah, some of them... Yeah. Some of them... Um, if you sometimes when you use the sun song, it'll transport you back to the beginning of an area instead of making the fairy appear, and that's frustrating. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, then use like Zelda's lullaby or Epona's song. Then yeah, but sometimes it works exactly as it should. So it's a it's a gamble with that one. Um, but yeah, when you use the sun song, the song of storms, I guess Epona's. I've never tried Epona's song, but it worked. Um, yeah. A lot of them work. I think at least one of them, sometimes when the sun song works, it makes a fairy spirit come out instead of a fairy. Um, and you can't catch those, but they are useful for um, just getting a quick heal up and replenishing your magic and doing all that. So um, so that's good to know. Yeah, they're nice. The, the next way is, I'm sure everyone by this point has seen the dirt patches, the magic bean dirt patches. So... If you play the Song of Storms, speaking of, we actually missed the Song of Storms. If someone wants to catch that when I'm done. Okay. If you play yeah, the so... Song of Storms um, on top of a dirt patch, it'll actually make anywhere, I think it was one to four fairies come out, which is bizarre to me. I never knew that. And sometimes it doesn't work depending on the dirt patch, which is even stranger. But you could have anywhere from one to four fairies pop out. Flash growing fairies. Yeah. Was there any other fairy stuff you wanted to talk about, Anthony? Like, because I didn't even know that those were a thing. Well, that pretty much covered the secret methods to get a fairy, and then there's only the other known reason where, in dungeons, there are many jars that contain fairies in them that you can also use. They're a little bit more rare. There's probably like one or two per dungeon. Right. A lot of times they're like right before the boss too. So it um you know, it's 
they're 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 placed pretty strategically for yeah, you. Or sometimes they're after a mini boss or something. Yeah, or around a mini boss. I was gonna say. Just wanted to make sure everyone had the chance to uh, live, have a chance to live in this next dungeon coming up, because it is not, <laughs> it is not playing around, it is at all. Yeah. So, um, we when we make our approach away from that area where you're talking about with the fairy fountain. Um, there's one last moblin who takes more than one hit to kill. Um, but also you're not, you don't really have to kill him. Um, he, he smashes the ground with a giant club as he sees you approach. He's one of the only ones that is going to see you approach no matter what. And, um, it's actually just a completely different play style from the other ones. You're not, you're not trying to hide from this guy. Um, you kind of, you're playing a game with him in a way. Um, there's three, there's three lanes in this, uh, big grassy hallway, um, that he can smash down basically. And what you want to do, um, is every time he brings the club to the ground, usually on the lane you're on, you just want to run into one of the other lanes. Um, and that's kind of how you get up to him. Um, usually, usually when I get up to him, I try to kill him <laughs> just because I'm kind of mad at him for doing that. Cause usually I get hit a few times. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I kill him too. But I think you can't because he's like right at the foot of the stairs up to Saria's secret place. Um, so I think once you get past him, you can just kind of bolt up those stairs and he will have nothing else for you. Yeah. And in case anyone was wondering about these guys, these are Moblins, by the way. So if anyone has played the Breath of the Wild or Wind Waker or Twilight Princess, yes, these are the same guys who look messed up in the face. They kind of look like pig people. And they missing teeth and really tall. So yeah, these guys look like dogs, and it uh, they've definitely went far in, in their. Uh, yeah, I always thought of them as like bear soldiers or something. Like they're real, they're real big, brown and fluffy. Mm-hmm. They've definitely they like went far armor. in the evolutionary line of the Zelda timeline. And um, what's weird is that you don't see them anywhere else. Like they're just here. <laughs> Yeah, right. Guarding this one temple. True. And they're like one of Ganondorf's best minions. Maybe maybe they just were contracted. He was like testing how, how good they were <laughs> before he like actually took the whole race and just like, ah, right, you're serving me now. Right. Um, so yeah, so you make it past, you get up to the temple, and uh Sheik appears once again. Um basically says Something along the lines of like the t- the flow of time, um, it's like you can't stop it. It always it's always moving forward, and it's different for every person. Um, you know, she said one thing that doesn't change is your memories of your childhood. Um, so I mean, there's already kind of hints that that this is kind of like calling back to when you were a kid. Um, partly because you're going to find your best friend from childhood. Um, partly because, I mean, you're in the forest where you technically grew up, um, even though, I mean, you grew up in Kokiri village, really. I don't think you were in the lost woods a whole lot (laughs) when you were growing up, but, but still, um, memories of, of your, your past. Um, I think there's a, there's a bit about here, like about cherishing those memories about like how you feel about them doesn't tend to change. Um, I don't know if she's trying to say the details of your memories never change. I feel like Maybe that's not the most true thing that this game has to teach, but um, there's there's a point here just to kind of bring in like, okay, this is this is like the introductory statement of this temple. Um, so the time time is always moving forward. Like the time 
um sorry the, the flow of time is always cruel i believe is the first line um it's always moving forward and it's different for each person so clearly like you know you you grew up like you are now adult link and none of the other kokiri have they're all still kids um so that's the first example of time flowing differently for different people um but i think that there's there's more to it than that like people do seem to age at different rates in reality um, some people just look older sooner <laughs> and, and, you know, such an, like, that's kind of life. Like, you know, some people don't age as well as others. Um, people die at different times, just being real. Um, and mm-hmm. people mature at different rate, like people grow up and, and, you know, act like adults sooner than others in, in different circumstances, you know? Um, so this idea of like, okay, it's, it's different for everybody, but we're all still kind of in it together. <laughs> um, and, you know, it goes into, she says, if you want to come back to this place, um, or, you know, sorry, they say, if you want to come back to this place, um, play the Minuet of Forest, and then they teach you the Minuet of Forest. Um, I did, I did look it up, um, just to kind of have this detail on hand. I looked up the definition of a Minuet, because all the songs are named differently. Um, a Minuet is a dance for two people um and it's in triple time so you know you learn this song that i believe is you know two sets of three notes um Mm. and the fact that a minuet is a is a dance specifically for two people um kind of just points again at the fact that this is kind of a story about you and saria um not that the whole dungeon is going to be based about you and Saria. Like, I feel like there's a lot going on in this dungeon and a lot of it has nothing to do with that. Um, but that's, that's the framing. They start out calling back to your childhood and calling back to your relationship with your best friend from, from when you were a kid. Mm. Um, it's this dance for two. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Sheik throws down a Deku seed and, um, disappears on you and leaves you to your own devices now. And our own devices being a hookshot. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's accurate. <laughs> hookshot! And to add a little bit to the music, for any music nerds, the Minuet of Forest actually, and I don't know if you know this, Spons, had a lot of inspiration from around, like, four minutes, I think it was, into Claire de Lune, actually. Hmm. Oji Kondo got some inspiration with Minuet of Forest. Not the other songs that are traveling songs, just the Minuet, though, which I thought was pretty interesting. He borrowed a lot <laughs> from from that specific song. Nice. And this is the point where we could get all the way here without the hookshot, and then we'd be staring up at this broken staircase with a tree branch over it and an open temple door and be like, how the heck do I get up there? Which is the hookshot. <laughs> yeah. The, the hookshot's going to be huge. Um, huge. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't even want to attempt to do a walkthrough of this place, no. honestly. No. Um, no. Because there's a lot of circling, a lot of revisiting rooms. Um, when you think you have to like do another lap, do another lap. It's probably the right thing to do. Um, and for that reason, it's very confusing. Um, one of the things I'll say is that there there are um, five dungeons as an adult that we are going to end up going to. Um, two of them in particular 
are kind of like spoopy. <laughs> they're, 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 you know, they're kind of like based around being like, um, I don't know, like they're kind of, there's a lot of death imagery. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of, um, you know, like haunted house vibes going on. Um, and you wouldn't think that the first place that you go as an adult would be one of those, but it is. This is the, the forest temple and it is a little more haunted than you might have expected. Yeah. Um, you know, you might have thought, I'm going to fight forest creatures and do, and like in, in future games, that's Which exactly true, what happens. Like what you, you fight, do do. You, yeah, you fight plants and like, you know, goofy monkeys and stuff. No, like you, <laughs> you're fighting, you're fighting mostly skull, skeletons, skulltulas, like symbols of death. I mean, the first thing you come across, I will say, is a couple of wolfos. But after that, it's, it's pretty much all death. <laughs> um, and I wanted to point out here, the scenery here is amazing. The whole temple for me just has this beautiful forested vibe and just from the first room the beginning area that you start in then you get to this huge foyer room with stairs and lamps in the middle and all the rooms just have this vibe that i feel brings together the entire temple albeit from one room i'll explain it later but i just feel like this temple was one of the most beautiful dungeons so far that we've seen yeah it's very yeah. atmospherically themed well Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like uh I mean it is the forest temple, right? I mean it's like it's like a a man-made structure that's kind of been overgrown um grown into in a lot of ways. Um there's a lot of like outdoor groves where you can like kind of see the walls and the structures of the building. Yeah. Um it's it's definitely it's definitely a pretty place in a lot of areas. Um and I think that all of this kind of ties back in like we're, you know, like we, we've been talking, you know, going through our color scheme, the green, red, and blue. Um, this, this is our next green. Um, but it's an adult green, right? Like, so when we were a kid, um, the, the Deku tree, a lot of it was like situational fears. A lot of it was like, Hey, like fear of heights, fear of darkness, fear of spiders, fear of death, fear of whatever, you know, like there's a lot of like, um, I guess not fear of death for that one. Fear of the unknown, but like, Fear of the unknown, right? Um, this one, there's a lot more focus on on like where Link is at in his life. Um, it's not so much about the fact that like it's not about being afraid of skulls. It's not about being afraid of ghosts. Um, it's it's a real threat. Yeah, I feel like the fear that's represented here um, is a lot like you know it talks. You know, Shika was talking about how time is different for each person um it's kind of the fear of your new situation like like link i'm sure after coming back finding out that the world has been taken over by ganondorf um and that that happened specifically because of something that like in result of something that you did thinking you were doing the right thing like if i was link i would be doubting myself right now like i would be in a state of like hey i don't know if this is still gonna work <laughs> like i don't know if i'm yeah. enough for this mission and to add on um, to that and i think just think oh, about it you know imagine you are 10 years old and then you wake up and you are 17 without any like any prior knowledge like you are 17 you have a 17 year old's body and height physical shape 
and you it must have taken him a while you know to get used to it. i mean obviously it's a game so you don't really think of like it's a video game logic but all these things play into link like he's he might be doubting himself from letting this happen he's not used to his body yet and he might just feel like crap can i do this and let's not leave out yeah. the most important fear at play here the fear of complex structures because that place is a labyrinth <laughs> you will get that lost. is not at all the most you important thing. Lost. Please ignore my sarcasm. <laughs> no, but it is, you know, it, that, that is something you come across a lot in this place. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of figuring things out in this, in this temple. Um, and there is, you know, there is the fear of passing time. Like, I, I'm sure that it comes as a shock to the system. Like Anthony said that you just, you know, aged seven years out of your own control. Um, I mean, at that point, you might be thinking, okay, well, is that going to happen again? Like, <laughs> like, how much time do I really have left? You know, like the, the, the passing of time is always cruel. Like this is, you know, this is part of the thing. Like you're, you're coming to this realization that, okay, you are an adult. Like you probably have adult responsibility. I mean, you're, you're going to be going and fighting this guy that you really couldn't fight when you were a kid. Like, you know, there's a lot to be afraid of. Like, I think that there's, there's like a, a training ground against fear that kind of happens in this dungeon. Um, and like, there are scarier things than what there was, um, when you were a kid in the Deku tree. Um, and it's not because the enemies necessarily themselves are scary. It's like what the temple itself represents and what the kind of theme through it all represents is scarier. Like there is that fear of death, but it's, only because it's kind of a fear of how much time do I have left or, you know, like, um, you know, the passing of time, like, am I going to be able to make the best use of it? Like, I, I really feel like there's like, the, there's doubt, there's fear in the form of doubt. And that's kind of what you're fighting in this temple. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, same. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if we're going to go through some of the enemies. I mean, I know that, I have like two, I guess three, if you count the boss that I want to talk about. Um, but I know that there's like a couple other new ones that come up. I want to bring yeah, up a few uh, tips I have for the dungeon before we get into that. Okay. Uh, a few just minor tips. Cause we're not going to do a walkthrough cause this place is way too complicated. Um, search in the beginning. When you first get into the temple, search everywhere in every room that's available to you and climb any vines that you see. And try to get as yep. many small keys and explore all of the available rooms to you before you open the first available door that requires a small key. And my third and final tip would be whenever you access a new area in this dungeon, go as far as you can straight as an arrow. And when you hit a dead end, go back and start taking side routes. It'll make your life a lot easier. Yeah, that actually really will help somebody because i definitely got lost a couple times because i didn't go the whole way that i could go and i missed the door yeah those those are the I things no i followed that. <laughs> that, that being said just be prepared because there are times where you'll go the whole way you can go just to find a door you don't have the key to and then you gotta backtrack <laughs> um but that's just kind of part of the temple so have fun with it remember <laughs> it's a game it's the forest temple you're here to have fun so, yeah. So, Anthony, like, I know that you're kind of our monster expert. Do you want to kind of walk us through some of the highlights? Yeah, I have the encyclopedia of monsters right here. So, oh boy. 
I'll just I'll just do what I did for Jabu Jabu's belly. We have a list here, okay? We have the encyclopedia list here. I have Wolfos, which we've seen before, Octorox, which we've seen before in Jabu Jabu. We have Skulltulas and Skullwoltulas, everybody's favorite spiders from when we were in the Deku tree. <laughs> yep. We have Deku Babas and Big Deku Babas again. But now, after we've gotten through these repeats, you know, these people we don't care about, we have the new enemies. And there is a new enemy that I think Cameron might have something to talk about, but the Stalthos is a skeleton-looking... I, I want to say they have Middle Eastern vibes uh, with the way that, you know, the clothes that they're wearing. And they have a bronze copper sword, and boy, are they tough. It is definitely a gap in difficulty from what we've seen to these Stalthos. You know, we've had Wolfos, we've had Lizophos before, but these guys definitely bring a new mix and I never knew this, but if you don't Z-target enemies, and there's multiple enemies, so say that you have two Wolfos or two Stalfos in a place, if you don't Z-target them, they will both attack you. However, if you Z-target, which you probably should be doing anyway, but if you do Z-target, only one will ever attack you until that one is defeated. And I never knew that was actually a combat mechanic because I've always Z-targeted. So my point I'm trying to make is don't not Z-target anything, then there's more than two. All right? yeah. That's a good point, because I didn't know that either. I thought it was just programmed that only one would attack you at a time. I didn't know no. your Z-targeting was actually the trigger for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think the um, I think the Lizalfos don't work that way. No. At least not the first sets that you fight. But, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that later on, I mean, there, there are times where you have to fight two of them and they don't have platforms to run off to and stuff, where I'm sure that mechanic works exactly as you described. Yeah. But what I wanted to say about the Stalfos is, as we mentioned before with the big Deku Babas, they can kind of hit over your shield. Well, here's another enemy that can very easily hit over your shield if you're standing just a little too close to them. And they do two hearts of damage per hit. And I think their jump strike might do more, but I didn't actually get hit by it, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, and they have shields of their own, which I think is what makes them, like, separates them from the Lizalfos. Like, Stalfos, like, they, if you just try to attack them outright, they'll just put up a shield and you, you'll have a hard time getting through that. Yeah. You have to attack them pretty much right after they're done trying to attack you. Either block them or stand far enough back that they don't hit you. And then while they're recovering from their swing animation or their jump strike is when you attack them. And if you're really good at timing, you can bait them into jump striking by being far enough away that they can't actually just do a regular melee swing and then back off enough to not get hit and do your own jump strike fast enough. You can do more damage that way and kill them faster. Yeah, but otherwise, they will always block your jump strike because the only time they give you enough time to hit them with your jump strike is after their jump strike. Yeah, sometimes you can pull it off during, too, and it's really cool because it's like you win. Oh, I didn't know that. Like you're both in the air, and you can just kind of get You win. <laughs> All right, well, now that we got the, the probably what I feel is the hardest enemy in this dungeon uh, out of the way... Um, before we move on, sorry, I, I feel like this is, it's worth bringing up now, um, I, even though it could spoil something later. Um, the lore of Astalfos, um, and this kind of gets broken a little bit down the line, but at least here in the forest, um, one of the 
characters from Kokiri Forest that um, we never fully mentioned before. Um, there is a there is a Kokiri who is unique um, in design. Like a lot of the Kokiri are kind of cut and paste of each other. Um, and the only unique ones are Saria, Mido, and this third one who's actually named Fado. Um, Fado is the blonde Kokiri girl who normally stands up on the bridge above Saria's house, um, who originally told you to look around. Um, later on, you find out that she, she spends more time in the Lost Woods. Um, and she is actually a named character, even though you'd never really get her name in this game. Um, at least they don't tell you what it is outright. Um, so this character being Fado, um, was, I guess, in early development, she was one of the, she was actually supposed to be the original Saria. Like this temple was originally going to be called the wind temple. Um, and if you look at some of like the blocks on the walls, you actually see what looks like, like a little tornado fan blade type thing. Like there's nothing else. There's not, it's not like leaves. It's not plants. It's not like the symbology, um, in the temple actually still looks like wind. Um, so they scrapped that idea (laughs) and made it the forest temple and traded out Fado for Saria. Um, but they kept Fado in the game. So later on in the game, she, she reappears and we'll get into that in another episode. Um, and what she explains to you is that adults who get lost in the lost woods become Stalfos. Um, so it, it could be assumed that these two Stalfos that you're fighting were Hylians at one point who got lost in the lost woods. Um, and I guess we're, either replanted, replaced, whatever, um, for Ganondorf's purposes. Um, so yeah, just, just a little bit of extra for those guys. That's really cool. I feel like I thought I remember you saying something about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's another thing outside of this game, but there's another, like the, if you play wind waker, the, um, the last Kokiri was also named Fado. And again, was blonde, <laughs> um, but it's not the same Fado. Um, but he does; he is involved in a wind temple in that one, so they still kept that concept alive. They're doing like a little bit of fan service game, yeah. But um, but yeah, it it didn't make it. It didn't make the cut necessarily for this game. But a lot of the stuff is still in the game. You can still notice it, even though it doesn't play an actual part story wise. I just think it's cool to to know. I guess her hair just wasn't green enough. (laughs) Couldn't get the shades right. I did want (laughs) to harp off of what you said with the wind plates that are above the doors you mentioned. So I didn't know this going through it, which probably would have helped me because I did get lost twice. But those wind plates are there as to indicate this is the way forward. So whenever you see one of those on the door, it either means there's something past that door, like a small key or another way to go. The right way to go, I should say. And the doors that don't have that are usually doors that, you know, like backtrack or don't really like What am I trying to say? Like they go, like they're the ones that lead further into the temple. And if you look on the backside, like that's not there because you're actually heading back towards yeah, yeah, yeah. So like if you're going back, it, it won't be there. Gotcha. So, those, those so like there's, there was a determined flow through this place that you're supposed to kind of follow. 
And that I, I thought that was interesting because I was going to bring that up. And then you mentioned that it was actually supposed to be the wind temple. So when you said flow, it's it's cool because those wind plates literally represent the flow that you're supposed to be going through the temple. I didn't even so know then, they were there. So, okay. Yeah. Cool, cool. I didn't pay attention then so, when I was going through. I wonder if they're still there in the 3DS version, even if they were like remnants of when the temple was supposed to be something different in the original game, and then they just repurposed them. I wonder if it's like something different. I didn't. I didn't even pay attention. It was above the doors. Yeah, That's a good point to look into. Yeah, getting back into monsters, uh, we have a new enemy, and they're called Bubbles. Don't know why they're called bubbles. Makes absolutely no sense, but they are a floating skull with surrounded by a blue flame, and there are green flamed version as well. And they sort of make like a clack noise as they slam their jaw shut and open as they chase you through the air. And it's not really hard to fight them. You just use the hook shot to basically like burn their fire out. And then they get stunned, which you can then use your sword to finish them off. I just always thought it was a weird name. Like, I think the reason they were named Bubbles, and this probably has nothing to do with this episode, but in the original Zelda, they they didn't know how to make like a flame graphic, I guess, with the 8-bit that they were working with. So the, the skulls actually just had a bubble around them. And then when they actually got to making them 3D, they were able to put the fire, but they still called them Bubbles. Yeah, it's like especially cool weird because there's actual legitimate bubbles in this game that aren't called <laughs> bubbles, and that kind of irks me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It seems a little backwards. These things should be called shabombs. Shabomb. <laughs> Skull shabombs. <laughs> Skull bums. <laughs> um, so the blue ones will chase you, and the green ones sort of move like Koopa Troopas from Mario. They just sort of float there, and you can actually just run right by them. You can kill them if you want. Probably drop hearts, pieces. Well, not heart pieces, I'm sorry, just regular heart. But yeah, they don't I don't do know much. If, yeah, I don't know. Get if, some items if you need them. I don't know if it's the same for the green ones, but if you get hit by the blue ones, there's either a chance or after so many times of them hitting you, you'll get like a curse on you and Link will yes. glow blue and you won't be able to use your sword. For probably like forty five seconds to a minute. I don't, I don't think, think green does that happen. I don't think the green does it either, but because the color is specifically blue when Link is under the effects of it. But yeah, that happens. I, I had it happen to me when I was a kid, and I was so confused. I thought the game was glitched, and I couldn't pull my sword out. Yeah. Yeah, it's an oh, interesting thing. Well, I think you can still use be... uh, hook shots and bows, but yeah, continue. Oh, okay. So it's just the sword that it blocks out. Yeah, I think it's just the sword. Nah. Yeah, well, it didn't happen to me this time, but I definitely remember from being a child that when I was an actual kid, that, that that happened. So the next enemy we have is the Wall Master and Floor Master. And go back to the creepy aspect of this dungeon. You know, we we're just talking about floating skulls. This is just a sentient hand. There's a hand that will sit on the ceiling, and when you get to a specific room in the temple, it you will see a shadow appear over Link, and it will gradually get bigger. And as it gets to the full you know, circumference that it's going to grow, the Wallmaster will actually drop right down on Link and take him back to the beginning of the dungeon. And mm, I got, it happened to me. I was going up the stairs. <laughs> I didn't think that he could keep up with me going, like jumping up the stairs and he got me. But yeah, I've, I've had times where you get into those rooms 
and um, Navi neglects to interrupt you and say, watch out for the monsters that hide <laughs> on the ceiling. This says watch um, for the monsters' just- shadows, something like that. Right, like look out for the shadows of the monsters that hide on the ceiling, right? Um, and so you just kind of get hit by it, and you don't know what it is or where it came from or what, like, it, like usually the triggers well, like especially on GameCube, right? Like, because I've been doing a little bit with that lately. <laughs> um, yeah, like she'll she'll almost always tell you when you enter a room, hey, look out for the the shadows, right? Um, but sometimes I feel like with the N64, like it just doesn't work right. And you don't always get that warning. Um, so I've definitely been caught by these things without warning before. Um, but these, these enemies, both of them together. Um, I mean, the fact that one is called Wallmaster, I think kind of, kind of begs towards this point. Um, did a little bit of research. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, um, the writing on the wall? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like it's it's supposed to it's like an idiomatic expression if you don't know, um, just for our listeners, I guess. Um, um, that kind of talks about a sign of impending doom. Like it's basically like a big, like clear image that something is likely really badly bad going to happen. Um, and it actually stems from a, a story in the Bible um, about this king Belshazzar. Um, so Belshazzar had a big feast, um, bunch of people were over, he got drunk and they decided they were going to use like the cups and plates that they stole from the temple in Jerusalem. Right. Like, so this is, I know I'm, I'm kind of just jumping into a, a random offshoot, but I think that the, the reason that these things were used is because while they were doing this, um, the, like the fingers of a man appeared and wrote, um, basically wrote a message on the wall. Um, and there's a whole bit about like people not really being able to interpret it and stuff like that. Like they couldn't read the writing that was on the wall. Right. Um, but when it first came, it talks about how the King reacted to this. Um, and it's, it's a little bit funny. Um, (laughs) it says that, uh, his face turned pale and his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself and his (laughs) knees knocked together. (laughs) So, (laughs) so like, (laughs) I think that this, these things like are, are inspired by that story as well. Like, I think that the fact that there's just like a random hand that will jump down, grab you, throw you back to the beginning. I mean, that's, that's pretty rough. I mean, you have to fight one that's just like out in the open that doesn't do that. But like, these are meant to be a horror enemy. Um, For sure. and I think that they were inspired by this story of like this dude getting completely horrified by this hand just appearing and writing things on the wall. Um, Again, like it just kind of plays into that whole, um, like we're dealing with bigger fears. <laughs> like we're ba- dealing with like impending doom or impending death. Like not, um, not necessarily like I'm afraid of height. I mean, you know, like it's, it's just a little bit, they're just trying to up the scary a little bit. Yeah. It's something more real, a real yeah. bigger threat. More intense. To. Yeah. And that, that is the right, wall I thought master. that was a cool detail. It is. I actually really yeah. like that. I was starting to read the Bible myself a bit uh, again recently. So that's cool. Uh, and these, these don't just look like a regular person's hand cl- crawling on the ground. These are like beef jerky colored, uh, so like <laughs> mummif- mummified skin looking kind of wrinkly with like demon claw, long fingernails and like a wristband on the wrist, at least on the 3DS version. So yeah, they're not they're not pretty. And it's it's always 
it was always strange to me. So this this was a monster that was in the original Zelda for the Nintendo, and it, it came back in this game. And in this game, you know, the Wallmaster doesn't appear until almost the very end of the dungeon. And again, in the original games, it didn't appear until the very end of the dungeon. So you have to struggle and run through this dungeon and then you get to the very end and you're like, I'm about to get rewarded. You know, I'm close to the end. And this thing just takes all of your effort. It's sort of just, it's like a defeating moment where if you do succumb to this monster, you just get put all the way back to the beginning. And it is a far run in, you know, in every version of the game that this thing exists in. They like to do that. And it just, it's, yeah. Yeah. The struggle. Cause I don't, I don't even think that it's like necessarily at the end of this dungeon, but it is in the deepest parts. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's pretty nasty where they decided to put it. <laughs> yeah. It takes a while to get back to where you need to go to get, cause that is a pivotal room. And it's just like, nah, you're going back to the beginning, man. Yeah. Yep. So the last four enemies we have in this dungeon before we get to, the boss are a set of poses. There's four of them, and they are okay, sisters. I have a question about the floor master real quick, which is the one that doesn't drop down. It's just the one you encounter that's on the ground. When you deal enough damage, it splits into three. Is there a unique name for those three, or are they just like also floor masters? Oh, no. They're just floor masters still. It's okay. the same entity. Yeah. Yeah. Because if I remember right, if you kill two of them, the third one can grab onto you and like abs- just kind of feed itself and grow back into a big one. Oh, I actually do feel like I kind of remember that. I know that it happens in the shadow temple. Cause I've ha- that's where it always has happened to me. I don't know if this <laughs> one in this temple does it or not, <laughs> but yeah, yeah back to the pose. Yeah. So these pose there, you see them in the very beginning of the temple. So you're probably already familiar with them. And there's, they represent a color and on the color, there are four torches that will activate an elevator in the middle of the room. And you sort of have to go for an Easter egg hunt, hunting these sisters down. And they get pretty creative with it, as two of them are in the paintings in a room after you get the bow. There's another one who plays a mini game with you, and then the last one is in the middle of the room crying over the death of her sisters, and then you have to fight her there. But I wanted to get more into the way that they look and the very small but distinct differences between the sisters. So we have Joelle. She's red. She has like a straw-wrapped hat, and she's in a painting. But the thing with Joelle is she looks very evil. Her eyes are (laughs) tilted, and they're sort of squinted down, and she just looks very evil. And then we have Beth. And Beth is the blue Poe, who's wearing a knight's helmet. And as we know, the only people who wear knight's helmets are the royal guards. So I want to think that maybe in life, Beth was a royal guard, possibly. But that's just a bit of lore that you can look into. And she's another Poe that is in the painting. And this one has an uninterested look upon her face. Her eyes sort of just like horizontal and she looks like she's really disinterested in anything that's going on. And then there's Amy. Amy's green. She's a cloth wrapped cloak on her head. 
She has very, very small eyes, and she's actually the youngest of the four sisters. And this sort of plays out where her eyes look very innocent looking. They're just two little small green dots, and she actually plays a game with you. There's a puzzle game that you have to solve before you actually get to fight her. And it just kind of, it sort of like brings out the innocent, like she's the youngest, so she wants to play a game with Link. And it just brings that out. And then we have Meg, who is the purple one, who's wearing a headdress. And she's got the evilest eyes of all four of the sisters. And she's actually the eldest sister as well. And I actually cheesed this, this Poe real hard. The other ones, you sort of just fight like normal Poe's. So she will basically shadow clone Jutsu, three other <laughs> fake imposter pose around you. And I first personed the hook shot. I, I did a first person view. And then as they summoned in, the po there's always a pose that starts in front of you. And I just hook shotted that pose uh, like three or four times in a row. It was always that pose that started in front of me. So I didn't have to move out of first person when I fought her. It was hilarious. I didn't have to any guessing game or anything. <laughs> the ultimate <Wow>. lucky. <laughs> so, so do you mind if I kind of go off with these poses real quick? <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is where the game like blew my mind. Um, these poses are based off of the book Little Women. Hmm. Um, their names are based off of it. Um, so <laughs> Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy are the four March sisters. Listen, I've never read Little Women. I should start by saying that. So I didn't know any of this. I went on a Wikipedia search <laughs> um, when I looked up because I was like, why do they all have names? What do these names mean? So I, I just searched their like their small names. Um, I think I even looked up like a like a Zelda wiki and it was in the trivia that they're based on the women from the book Little Women. Um, the one issue that there is is that um, Joelle is actually the real name was Josephine, but she went by Joe in the book. Um, and I think uh, in Majora's Mask, they actually corrected that and just made her Joe instead of Joelle, um, just so that it didn't matter. It was the shorter name. Uh. Um, but but check this out. Um, so it's a story about the four March sisters. Um, so you talked about Joe, who was like red and looked angry. Mm -hmm. um, in the book, she's, she's known for being a hothead. There you <laughs> um, go. And she's, Confirmed. um, she's, she's home assisting her great aunt, right? Um, there's Beth, um, who's known for being shy and she, she like too shy to go to school or whatever. So she stays home and helps with housework as well. <laughs> so I think that these two being that they're like, they kind of follow the same pattern of like being in the paintings and, you know, you have to kind of coax them out of like their, their housing, um, kind of follows that pattern a little bit. Um, crazy is that amy um is an artist um and everything that she does is about self-expression like all like the art that she does is usually for for actual like artistic self-expression like she's 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 wants you know she has this longing for for um high society um like again this is like me reading off of wikipedia so don't quote me like there's a lot about this book i don't know but the pieces that I was able to pick out of the synopsis kind of match this perfect because Amy the ghost is the green one that basically makes you put together a self-portrait of herself. Um, and then once it's together, she comes out and you can actually fight her and, and kind of put their spirit to rest, right? Hmm. 
Um, so then after you defeat those three, you go out and you fight Meg, who's the eldest, uh, again, same as Meg in the book is the eldest one, um, who replicates herself. Um, in the book, Meg is known for being vain and she's known for being this teacher. Um, and she, she spends time in the book trying to get her other three sisters to kind of match the image of what women were supposed to be in the society so at the time, three- which is the title little women kind of comes from so like it's um there's a lot that they just took inspiration from there and um and it's crazy because little women it's actually a story it's a coming of age story for these for these girls so like the book starts out and they're like they're all younger they're between the ages of like 10 and 14 or something like that um and the book kind of goes through their transition into adulthood which is what just happened link. you being link having just aged seven years. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's what you're doing right now. So like, so again, like the, the, the writers of this game, like what in the world? Like, I mean, crazy. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a pop, it's a well-known book. It's popular. Like I don't, I've never read it personally, but I know that like, I think some schools require it as a reading. Um, most schools accept it as like summer reading. If you have to choose your own book, because it's like, it's, it's such like an American classic. Um, and yeah, like it, when I, I just read through the synopsis and I was like, Oh my goodness. Like they went deep. They, they decided that they were going to like really try to drive a point and listen, I would have never known any of that <laughs> had I not been trying to like dig into this yeah, game. Yeah, you really um, got to dig in. I was like, oh man, like as a kid, obviously it's like, oh man, it's like these, these different color pose and they got different things I got to do and it's crazy. Um, and then it turns out like it was all a big like reference to another coming of age story. Like we had the uh, Alice in Wonderland reference earlier and now we have this little women reference and it's just... I don't know. Like, and it's like the I, I got into it and I was like, this it. is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like their eyes, just with their eyes, you know, like one of them was evil and like the youngest one had innocent eyes and then the other one looked very uninterested and that was the shy one. It was, that's crazy that they put that much detail into that. Yeah. That, I had absolutely no idea. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a there's very few key points left in this dungeon to talk about aside from when we get to the final boss. There is one thing I did want to mention that I said I was going to go up back to, but there is a spinning room that with a couple platforms that's a key point in the dungeon. And this room makes no sense with the rest of the dungeon because there's just like a blood pit under this spinning room. And I don't know where this room fits into the rest of the temple. I don't know if you guys saw it. I was very confused when I saw this room. Well, I mean, if we're talking about rooms that don't really fit in, there's also that room with the giant checkerboard floor and the ceiling that tries to drop down on you. That one really doesn't fit with the theme other than, I guess, if you're thinking about it like a haunted house attraction at a theme park. (laughs) Yeah, that's like a haunted house crap. Yeah, that room just was like, like, wait, what is that? That might be a joke about getting taller. Seems like the ceilings are getting lower. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i just thought of that just now i don't know if that's that's probably nothing but <laughs> <laughs> what i'm saying is probably know. nothing either but uh yeah so we get to the final boss we go up these stairs we come to a room that is surrounded by paintings and it's, it's sort of an ominous looking painting it's a lone road with some tim burton-esque trees 
and nothing's happening at all. He's just kind of sitting in this room admiring the six art pieces on the wall that all look the same. And you try to leave because, well, there's nothing else left to do in the room. And boom, the gate shuts. And who appears? Ganondorf. Bum, bum, bum. <gasps> and he brought his skull mask. <laughs> he did. And a horse. Yeah, this isn't Ganondorf. He puts on this mask. And uh, the creation of Ganondorf reveals himself as Phantom Ganon, the evil spirit from beyond. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can get into strategies, but I think the thing I want to say about this guy, um, y'all remember when Luke went into the dark cave because Yoda was like, you got to go face your fear. Um, I actually and do. when Luke went into the cave, it was Darth Vader, but it wasn't really Darth Vader. It was like phantom Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You think um, that's what this trying I feel like this is, this is exactly the same thing. I don't, I mean, I don't know if they took inspiration from that scene specifically, but, um, but I think, I mean, this being the, I mean, I guess with the points I was making earlier about like this being the, the dungeon of, of overcoming fear and doubt, like of, you know, this becoming an adult, time's passing, are you good enough? Like, are you really this child of destiny? Like you kinda you're kinda going through this. Like Ganondorf is probably Link's greatest fear to overcome right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is basically like one of those scenes where it's like, oh, here we go. We're facing our we're facing our biggest fear. Like we're facing Ganondorf, who basically laid us out when we were a kid. Um, <laughs> and this is the big boss of this whole thing like he's the he's the big bad you know um you know that he's at the end of this mission and like now he's he's right here at the front of it um but it's you know i mean obviously it's it's not really him but it's enough of a representation of him for link to be facing his fears right now yeah i would completely agree with that that like phantom ganon is like the impersonation of or personification of Link's fear of Ganondorf, who is his current uh, biggest threat and like the ultimate enemy enemy that he's fighting against. Yeah, Link this is probably this is like in his boots. This is like Link's own mental block against continuing his journey, is being able to accept the fact that there's something this big and powerful waiting at the end, and being able to fight through it. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. So I think it's really good storytelling. Um. Do you, do you guys want to talk about strategies now that we've <laughs> kind of said that? Yeah. Uh, well, he hops on a horse and jumps into a painting, which is great. And then oh, yeah. he rides oh. off into the sunset and, and it's all over. And then all of a sudden he's back, except there's two or three or four of them. And you don't know which one's real. And I don't either. So <laughs> I would just aim at one of the I paintings. Get- and then if it, he didn't come out of that one, I would spin around with my gyro and find the one that he was coming out of real quick because I'm playing on the 3DS. So I can just spin my body around and move the bow and arrow. Lucky. And I would just I would just shoot the one that he happened to be coming out of. Yeah. So um, for the for what I found online, because <laughs> I, I was looking this up like a fool, because I feel like there had to have been a trick. Um, I fought him so many times without knowing the trick. I was like, you know what? This has to be out there. Um, and what I found is that there, I mean, I think there's typically two of them from what I saw from playing. Yeah, there is. Um, and one of them is colored dark and the other one is colored light. Um, and it's the light one that you actually want to sh- wait for and shoot at. Um, so like if you, if you see the first two, I think 
in, in the last time I played, the first two actually came out of paintings right next to each other, so you could see the contrast. Um, otherwise, okay. you know, you normally have one Ganondorf and then like empty paintings to the right and left. So you have to like remember the shade and it, it's not an easy thing to do. It's a very subtle. Um, yeah. So, um, when I used that trick, it did work. Um, but again, like it's not, it, it doesn't make the fight that much easier because <laughs> you look at one and you're like, is that the light one or the dark one? <laughs> eh, I don't really know. Um, I think no, it's definitely you turn around and sometimes you're wrong again so it's you know it definitely worked for me for the first two times but then the last time i i unless my eyes were bugging out i could have sworn i went for the light one and it was actually the dark one he popped out of but you know it, it could have just been me not knowing the shades <laughs> i wanted to bring a point to this room i thought it was pretty cool and i don't know if this is legit or not but if you stand on there, so there will be, I think there is around, I think it's an octagon. I think the room is an octagon. It could be a decagon, possibly. What Maybe. about a nonagon? <laughs> I don't think it's that big. But I'm pretty sure it's an octagon. Um, there will be, in each of the corners, there will be a triforce that will be located in the corners. And if Link stands on, if you stand on that triforce, Ganondorf's lightning will not strike at you. you. You will be completely oblivious to this lightning. And I want to kind of look at that like, well, maybe the Triforce is protecting Link, you know? I don't, and maybe you can like put that into that story. But if you stand on the Triforces, you're impervious to the lightning. And it's just a weird, like, subtle detail that I noticed. So once you beat this Phantom Ganon horse riding painting dweller, version of ganon you then get to the second part of the fight which is basically just a tennis match and you need 45 love to win <laughs> yeah that's that's my assumption of that fight so there. sometimes it goes more like it. 80 love to win well i mean sometimes ganondorf scores and you take damage yeah <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah right. well if you play perfect it's 45 love like i did you know <laughs> well, if you have if you have the big Goron sword, it's it's last. Break. I actually <laughs> beat him with a uh, fifteen love twice, where he just let me bounce the very first oh, one you? back and did nothing and just fell to the ground. And I was like, "Hey, yeah." So the the closer you are to him when he shoots the beam, um, the more likely that it'll knock him down. So if he shoots the beam and you're, you're like basically up close and you smack it back, a lot of times that'll be that like that's it. That's all you have to do is just smack it back once because the timing's a little harder. Mm. Um, when you're farther away, he's better at the game. Yeah, actually, the um, two times that it happened for me, he was right on top of me. He didn't run to the other side of the room for some reason, so he just got, you know, checked. Completely destroyed it. Yeah. So, yeah, so we defeat him, and we get the voice of Ganondorf, um, who says that it seems like you've gained some skill. Um and and basically says like you're still not ready like like when you fight the real me it's going to be a lot harder than that <laughs> um and he kind of says that this this i don't remember if he calls it a puppet or a phantom or what but he, he basically says ghost. like i yeah this ghost is is useless i'm going to banish it to the to the gap between dimensions <laughs> so rude 
Like, come on. Right? Man. It's such a funny. Like, what do you mean the gap between dimension? Okay, first of all, dimensional theory. <laughs> Second of all, like, what you mean gaps? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, is it going to be in one, two, the gap? I don't know what this means, Gannon. He just gets dropped into the middle of the biggest gap in the country with no exits. He must wander the gap endlessly. Wander oh. the gap. <laughs> like, no, it's, bring a point to it's that. It's nonsense. <laughs> when he says he acknowledges your skill and he, he likes the challenge that Link has brought him, I want to say he's, he's sort of not really been like your mentor, but he's been impressed with Link this entire journey. And if we're going to take the story point of Ganon was actually the one who was allowing Link to, you know, go out and get these these stones as a child. Then we can almost say that Ganon is is sort of in in a very very indirect sense mentoring Link and then appreciating the challenge because you know Ganon doesn't want no wimp to face him. Like Ganon is a man of power and he wants with power comes challenge. You know, he wants someone that he can destroy who was a tough opponent. And I feel like he's allowing Link these these opportunities to get stronger so that he does have a stronger opponent to face. I don't know if you know that's that's the correct lore of this, but I like to think of it like that. Yeah, I was gonna say like I, I don't I don't know if I, I agree. I mean I, I we all take from this what we will, you know. Like I, I think that that's not a bad and like that's definitely matches the end result. Um, I, I do think that the fact that he, he lets you take your time and, and basically go through that. Like there's a cutscene later where he claims to have, have, like he basically claims a strategy, um, that explains why you were able to do everything. But the fact that you were able to increase your power to the point where you're able to fight him at the end, um, kind of shows that either there was an error <laughs> in that strategy, um, or, you know, Ganondorf's just arrogant. Like, I think there's a couple different explanations for it. But I think one of, like, wanting a strong opponent, like, that's not invalid. I think that's, you know, it's a possibility. Yeah, because he... I, I remember yeah, the reason, moment, but we'll wait until later to talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Because I was going to say, at any moment, Ganondorf could have wiped Link off the face of the Earth. If he saw any form of a threat that Link was going to pose, you know, he could have just wiped him off the face of it. And I think at this point in the story, even though he is an adult, you know, he doesn't have that much power yet. I feel like if he really wanted to, like Link is, has proven himself to be a threat. If he really wanted to, he could have wiped Link clean off the face of the planet right now. But he just, in, instead, he chooses to acknowledge your skill and, you know, he does provide challenge to you. But once you overcome that, he always is like, wow, this kid, you know, he's really great. So, he's definitely impressed with you as a, a kid with a sword. Yeah. yeah. He's got all this magical dark king power and you're just a kid with a sword and a shield that gets stuff on the way and you're actually like standing up against what he's putting down. So yeah, it's understandable he's impressed. And we've seen before, yeah. you know, whenever Ganondorf senses a threat, he doesn't, you know, wait around. It's not necessarily he doesn't wait around because he is a patient man, but he takes care of that threat, and he hasn't done that to Link yet. I mean, he might have yeah. tried. Well, as we surmised as a child, he had a reason to leave you alive as a child so that you could gather the stones for him. So if things follow the trend, then there's probably also a reason why he's letting you run around and do the things you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it worked out really yeah. well from the first time. It did. 
<laughs> so yeah. All right. Um, so we beat the temple. Um. So we get teleported out of the boss room, and we end up back in the Temple of Light, where Raru was. Um. Except this time we don't see Raru. We see Saria, um, who we were told by several people had made their her way into this temple. Um, or at least into the sacred meadow to, to deal with something happening at the temple. Um, but we hadn't seen it all throughout the temple. So she, I don't, I don't know what the lore is about how these sages end up getting called or like when they end up in, in the temple of light. Um, we almost never see that process, but Saria is the first one to get called. So you, you show up and, um, she basically shares like, um, you know, she, she says that she's been waiting for you and that she was expecting you to come. Um, I think she, she basically says like, she'll always be your friend. Um, but that, you know, things will always be different now. Like, because you know, she's been called as this sage. She gives you the, um, the medallion of the forest. Um, I believe that's what it's called. And, uh, basically the, the game says that she's added her power to yours and then it kind of fades out to white. And it says that Saria will always be your friend. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of cool. It's, it's like the bittersweet moment that you have with a lot of the sages. Um, I don't want to spoil any of the other ones, but, um, with Saria specifically, I mean, she's been your best friend since you were a kid. Um, and you're both kind of going into these roles and they're different and they're kind of exclusive. Like you don't, you don't spend a lot of time in the temple of light hanging out with the sages. <laughs> um, because you are the hero of time, you have a different role to play. Like she's, she's not gonna, I mean, you can still play the song. I guess it's a spoiler and talk to Saria and she'll still give you hints as to where to go and what to do. Um, in fact, if you played the song before you went into the temple, she basically said like, I'm in the temple, come help me. <laughs> like it's really scary in here. <laughs> um, but kind of going back to her being this courageous character, right? Like she, she went into this temple, like she's this Kokiri kid with no sword or shield, just the ocarina. And she made it past all the moblins <laughs> and into the temple and then was called as a sage from somewhere in this like creepy, like dungeon temple. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I think that still kind of rings true that she's still this character, but, um, but yeah, but like this friendship is, is going to be on completely different terms yet again. Um, it, it, it all changed when you left the forest in the first place. And now it's, um, and now it's taken a whole new evolution. Um, but it does take the time to say that Saria will always be your friend. Um, so I don't know. I, I appreciate the scene. Um, but yeah, after that, we, uh, we kind of get teleported yet again, back out of the temple of light. Yeah. I think it was a pretty heartwarming scene. Kind of like yeah. that always be in each other's hearts kind of uh, sentiment. Right. Um, yep. So Ooh. we teleport out of here and Link is kind of placed down right in front of the dead great Deku tree, right? Um, but there's a sprout in front of it that you didn't plant with a bean. <laughs> it's just kind of randomly there. So he leans in real close <laughs> and then uh, this... Uh, this little tree kind of like explodes out of the ground, sends Link back a few feet, and um, he kind of screams like in a way that seems over dramatic. Like he stops moving and keeps screaming for a second. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny to watch, but um, but yeah, uh, this is the introduction of the Deku Tree Sprout, the new Deku Tree. Yeah, the new Deku Tree, and he seems to know 
just about as much as the other Deku tree. <laughs> um, it actually seems like he, he has the same knowledge base as the original Deku tree. Um, so back when we were talking about like the Deku tree not being afraid of death because the forest doesn't end with him. Um, I, what I was trying to reference was this guy right here. Um, it almost seems like the original Deku tree is able to kind of continue his services and his power in the forest. Um, just by propagating a new tree, um, whether or not, you know, that, that seed was planted before he died or as he was dying, like, it doesn't really explain any of that, like how, where that plan came from. Um, but it does say that since you and Saria broke the curse, um, he can grow and flourish. So this Deku tree sprout has all this information and what he decides to, to start out with is, um, basically saying, you probably realize that your friends didn't grow up. Um, and they probably didn't recognize you in your grown up body because, you know, at heart and in mind, you're still a kid. <laughs> the Deku tree knows this. Um, they're like, they probably didn't recognize you in your adult body. Um, and it says, this is because the Kokiri never grow up. Um, and he, he shares with you, like, he's going to reveal the secret that you are actually a Hylian. Um, one of the coolest things about this exposition that he goes on here. Um, is that there was a great war, um, in Hyrule. There was a civil war. Um, and basically what he shares is like before the king united all of Hyrule, um, there was this great war. And basically this mother was trying to escape with her baby, um, and ended up bringing the baby into the forest where he was raised as a Kokiri. And this is like kind of Link's origin story. Like, how did he end up in the forest? Um, why did he grow up in the Kokiri didn't? Um, I think that there's a good point to make here about the king, um, who we've kind of seen as like this useless guy. Um, turns out 10 years prior to the events of this entire game, he actually unified the land. So like the fact that there's no war going on, it doesn't say who the war was between. Um, but there are some like references that, you know, there were flames in the picture. So odds are the Gerudo were involved. <laughs> um, but it doesn't necessarily say like what, where the word, like what races, I guess, were involved and what sides they took or anything like that. Um, but it does mention that the king actually unified the land, um, which I think kind of shines some light on the fact that Ganondorf kind of breaks into their system by pledging allegiance to the kingdom um, because it falls right in line with what the king has been doing. Like he's known for unifying He's known for bringing peace. So like if the big enemy group or the big group that everyone's suspicious of comes and kind of tries to declare loyalty and basically say, we want to be, we want to be, um, allies, like the king of allegiances is not going to <laughs> say no. <laughs> so again, like this is a huge deception by Ganondorf basically trying to play into the king's weakness. Um, of that, like he's he's gonna put trust in places where maybe it's not best for the for the sake of creating peace. Um. So yeah, I don't know. Like that's that's a little bit of conjecture on my part, but um, I like that story. I like the idea of that being like how why that worked so well. Um. And also, like the king isn't completely useless. Like he has this whole history, this track record of success. But in the end, like it, it actually turns into a problem. Um, so yeah, it's sort of goes back to that complacency and bliss vibe that plagued all of Hyrule Town and Castle. Yeah, 
Yeah, and uh, that even though he was known, if he was known for that, that maybe he took it a little too far with letting the super evil-looking dude from the desert, known as the Evil King, uh, in with open arms. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was the king of thieves back then. Now he's the king of evil. <laughs> <laughs> well, king of thieves too. Like, yeah, who's going to um, turn around and stab you in the bag if not a thief? Right. So, um, so in this one, um, I guess. Uh, aside from aside from that tidbit, there's a lot of destiny talk that comes from this this uh, Deku tree sprout. Um, he kind of says like the the original Deku tree recognized that uh, you were the child of destiny. You were always you were always bound to leave these woods and you basically go save the world. So um, I don't want to get too much into like, do you believe in destiny and like doing that whole conversation? I don't think that's necessarily a good talking point for us. <laughs> Um, but there is a lot of that in this game. Like you're the child of destiny. Zelda's the princess of destiny. It's almost like your entire story is pre-written. And I mean, in reality it is, this is a video game. Like the whole thing is pre-written, but, uh, yeah, I mean, (laughs) but in reality, reality, probably not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of choice that we put into our own lives. Like, I, I I don't want to get into that too harshly, but, um, yeah. Yeah, that'd probably be too long of a philosophical discussion. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, so that's, that's kind of where this game, I think, I think that's kind of our, our stopping point for the night. Um, yeah. I mean, there was one other thing that I, yeah. I did want to talk to you guys about. Um, it has nothing to do with what we just went over, really. Um, and it was actually from our last episode, and I kind of wanted to use this as like a prompt maybe for anyone who might listen and want to write in. Um, but I, I talked to you guys a little bit about it before this recording, um, so you had some time to think about it. But um, the back in back in the Zora's domain when we were a kid, before the time shift, um, we talked about how um, Link found this letter from Rudo, right? And it basically said, hey, I'm waiting for you inside Jabu Jabu. Please come help. P.S. Don't tell my dad. Um, and he takes the letter. You know, you, you take the letter as Link. You take it to the King Zora. He says, Rudo's inside Jabu Jabu. That's impossible. Go save her. And when you find Rudo, one of the first things she says is, I didn't write any letter. Like, I, would, I wouldn't do that or something like that. Like, she basically claims that she didn't, she didn't write that letter. Um, and there's two ways to think about this, and I'm kind of leaning towards one. Um, one way is uh, Rudo's lying. She definitely did write the letter. Um, she let it float down the river, and it went all the way to Lake Hylia, and that's where you find it. Um, and she's just denying it because she doesn't like you. She doesn't want your help, that kind of thing, which I think matches her character pretty well, and that's a there's a pretty good argument to be made for that. Yeah, it does. Uh, on the other side... Um, the letter isn't actually addressed to anybody except for an ambiguous you. Um, it says, P.S. Don't tell my dad, which may have actually been a sincere, like, hope that you wouldn't go to the king with this information. Um, and there's a chance that this letter was a plant. Like, I think there's a pretty strong, a pretty strong thing. Like, we know that we, I mean, our going theory anyway was that Ganondorf basically fed Jabu Jabu. Um, the jellyfish that would build Baronade. Um, 
which would have lured Rudo into Jabu Jabu, knowing that she frequented that trip. She said that she's always been going inside of him, um, which the king thinks is impossible. Um, and like, if you weren't to tell her dad, then you wouldn't like, he wouldn't know what's going on. He wouldn't have a response. Like there's a good chance that it, this whole operation would get overlooked by the Zoras who are supposed to be the wise ones. Um, so I think there's a pretty good, I mean, and, and the fact that it's not even addressed to anybody except for an ambiguous you that I think only a kid would look at and be like, oh yeah, that's me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, I think there's a lot of evidence that Ganondorf actually planted this letter um, in hopes to just further along the plan of like, oh, Link has been collecting these stones by saving the day. Let's, let's send him in. Let's give him this letter that basically leads him straight to this, this conflict that I set up. Um, but all the whole thing, like I want it to be under wraps. So I'm going to put in PS. Don't tell my dad. And that way, hopefully link will just get there under undercover basically and end up walking away with this stone. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? I wholeheartedly actually like that point that you introduced. And I do believe that because the past two times Ganondorf has pretty much instrumented this these you know these chaotic situations that link has gone in solved and gotten the stones and you know like we saw in the uh, the episode with the temple of time ganondorf was just waiting for link to gather them and use them to enter the door to the spirit world so yeah, I do believe that he probably did that. Yeah, I mean, as we've covered before, Ganondorf is pretty meticulous in his practices, like how he knew that he couldn't really threaten the great Deku tree. Instead, he had to kind of just give him an ultimatum of either give it to me or die, and then instrumented Link into the situation to, to get it for him. Uh, so it's completely possible that this letter, who is denied by the apparent author, wouldn't be you know part of the scheme of the big bad schemer. Yeah. All right. I didn't expect it to be unanimous. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. No, it's it definitely makes sense, though, because, I mean, you know, you have to kind of take Rudo for her word. Yeah, she gains nothing from saying that like, she, she didn't write it, aside from just being a brat, which she is, but it still doesn't really, it never rung true <laughs> as to why she said that. Even back then, I was like, why would you deny that? But, I mean, whatever, I'm here, so I just forget about it. But when yeah. you brought that up, I was like, wow, you know, that actually makes a lot of sense and even like the rupee trail leading right to it almost like somebody put it there just like hey look go this way here's the trail of candies <laughs> Ooh, piece of candy <laughs> exactly candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah you were led right there with a carrot right in front of your nose and it's like did rudo do that i don't know she doesn't really seem like capable of that and it's probably not her style to write very much yeah so mm-hmm. yeah, so I guess the the thing I would I would turn this to the listeners like do you guys agree with that idea or do you think that Rudo's just being that fish? Um that so, yeah. fish. <laughs> that fish. Awfully fishy. All right. Well, all right. So I think we can um we can kind of conclude this episode then. Um yeah, definitely reach out, let us know what you think about the yeah. Rudo situation, let us know what you think of the Forest Temple, all all the things we kind of covered today. Um, next episode, we will be getting into the fire temple. Um, I'm pretty sure we'll conclude with the real blister. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll conclude with the, bow, bow, with, bow, with bow, the, bow. uh, final, uh, 
I guess, scenes of, of the fire temple story. Um, so yeah, let, definitely write in, let us know what you, what you thought of that section of the game as well. Um, I'm going to reconnect with our sword. Yeah, guys. for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can, you can catch us at our, on our, uh, by email at, uh, a for no B for yes. That is the letter a number four, no letter B number four. Yes. At gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, at a for no B for yes with the same spelling. Um, but yeah, uh, hope you guys can, uh, can, can write in, let us know what, what your thoughts were on the game. Like we'd love to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Did you get all that?